Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. As we are looking at celebrating our Independence Day, remember our second uh, song we sang, Our Country Tis of How many of you noticed the last stanza, the first words? Sad to say, it says, Our Father's God. And I think that's where our problem is today. Much like Judges chapter 2 and 3, they didn't know, the new generation didn't know the God of their parents. And I think that's where we have a lot of trouble today is where uh, people don't know the guy that, that finding probably some of them did know. And that's obviously that's a, a deal on us. I read, it uh, wasn't what I was originally going to say, but I will hear in a minute. But I was reading through a uh, book and it was coming across about a person who was in China you know, sort of making a translation or in, the, in Asia. And he had a, a Confucianist helping him go through translating everything. And as they'd gone through, the young uh, the believer took, said to him, I'm so glad I've been wanting to witness to him. You know, thank you so much. I couldn't have done this work without you. Thank you so much. What do you think about the claims of Christ and of Christianity? He said, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. If I ever see one, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to do that. And it really cut the missionary to the heart. He says, well, I'm a Christian. He said, you're a Christian. He said, I see you worrying all the time about when is your paycheck coming in late? I hear you talk about people saying negative things you shouldn't say. I started going through some different things that he was going through on the translation. He said, you know, you know, really surprised he was a Christian. The Christian broke down, started crying and, and confessed and stopped to him. He said, Well, maybe I have seen a Christian. So I think it's important, you know, that we often can claim something, but are we living the very thing that we're so we're thinking about that. As we obviously we celebrate our Independence Day today of 247 years. Some of you probably remember the 200th. As well as I do. But how many of us remember the cost and what it costs? And I like to look at that. Also, there's parallels, I think, between the cost and what it costs for our country to get freedom and what it costs for you and I to get freedom as a believer from our sin. Let's think about it. The trivia. I'll give you some trivia. I did it before, a couple of years ago, to see how well you remember. How many people signed the Declaration of Independence? Fifty-six. How many future presidents signed it? One's, there's two. Which two signed it? Adams. Adams? Jefferson. Jefferson. Why didn't George Washington sign it? He was busy. He was defending New York City against the British. <clears throat> okay. How long did it take to get all 56 to sign it? Six months. Because you had to go by, you know, they didn't, you know, have to go to the different locations and do different stuff to get him to sign it. How old was the oldest person to sign it? 
Who was he? Benjamin Franklin. 70 years, 70 years of age. The youngest is two of them from South Carolina, 26. Who's the father of our Constitution? Not Jefferson. Jefferson didn't even sign it. Jefferson signed the Declaration of Independence. He didn't sign the Constitution because he was in France as the ambassador to France. He wasn't here. James Madison is the father of the Constitution. Alrighty? I'll give you a little trivia then. Okay, so as a nation, we had, the, you know, we're tired of the increased taxes without representation. And all attempts failed, both legal and illegal. Obviously, the Boston Tea Party being one of the illegal ones. <laughs> so he stopped me to think about it. What about the parallel we think about with, with that with us? You know, they had three choices. Talked about the founding of our nation. But they had three choices, you think about it. They can, Brit, British can lower taxes and give us representation. We can simply resign and pay the taxes with no representation, or we revolt. Obviously, they chose to revolt. But I want you to think about it. How many of us are under, according to Romans chapter 3, how many of us are under bondage to sin? All of us. All of us. All of us, it says, you know, there's, you know, in Romans 3.23, obviously concluding the uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3, with all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, every one of us. And I think it's important that you wouldn't think about it, but 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 gives us a definition of sin. And we've changed that so much in our country that the definition of sin, 1 John 3, 4, is breaking any of God's laws or standards. What happens today is we take law into our own hands. And we define what's right and what's wrong and when it's okay to do things. I'll never forget when one of them, uh, a political figure in our country, no longer living, but a political figure when they won something and he had lied about it and everything else and his question when he was before news said, we won, didn't we? So in other words, it didn't matter I lied. I knew I lied, but hey, we won. <coughs> so I think it's important to be thinking, though, is the on our taxes, when it talks about with them, the proposal was a tremendous tax, tax burden the country was under, and you also then, what the country wanted to do. We're under, as, a, a, as human beings, a burden of sin we cannot handle. But there are some proposals. The problem with sin, there's proposals, and we obviously gave the three for the U.S. But do you realize in Matthew 19, you remember the rich young ruler when he asked Jesus, what good work can I do to inherit eternal life? And what did Jesus say? The first one had to do with the first part of the Ten Commandments. Remember he said, I've kept every one. Remember, I basically have no other gods before you is basically what Jesus was addressing. The second one, you remember, you summer it up, is love of the neighbor as yourself. And since he was wealthy, what did Jesus ask him to do? Sell everything and give it to him. Now, obviously, it also shows he didn't love God above everything else because his possessions are greater. But, you know, we often can get caught up in that. But notice he was wanting to. You have the same thing in John chapter 6. You can turn there for a moment. John chapter 6. verse 28 they said therefore to him what shall we do that we may work the works of God 
again, trying to get to heaven on the works. Notice Jesus answered, Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. How are you going to get there? To believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And I think it's important that you look at it in Romans chapter 4 and verse 4. What does it tell us there? A lot of people are trying to get to heaven on works, and I'll give you some examples here in a minute. But in Romans uh, chapter 4, notice in verse 4, Now the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but what's due. So when I try to work my way to heaven, God being the Creator, saying what? That's not giving you any favor. You owe me that. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved, you know, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then notice it tells you in verse 10, we are to do the works after salvation. According to Isaiah, when you think about it in, verse, in chapter 64 and verse 6, what does it tell us about our work? They're filthy rags. The word for filthy rags means used toilet paper. How many of you think of your good works as used toilet paper? When it comes to our salvation, it will not get us saved. But we, that's the way the majority are trying to go there. But let me give you some examples. Okay, You all know of Islam. Islam has five pillars. You get to uh, heaven or nirvana or whatever you want to call it. The five, five pillars. Their five pillars are one, professional faith, which means Allah is God and Muhammad is the prophet. You have prayer, alms, fasting, and coverage. All five works I want to do. In Buddhism, you have what's called the Eightfold Path. Right view, right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindset, right concentration. Everything done what? Works. Hinduism is, you have three ways in Hinduism, and the summary of Hinduism is uh, all roads are by different paths leading to one reality God. So you can, they have thousands of gods, but you choose one. But they have mainly you do it through three different ways in Hinduism, through duty, through works, uh, two, through knowledge, gaining all this knowledge, monks and stuff, all this knowledge, or three, through uh, devotion. That's how you get there. You have Jainism. Jainism, basically, anytime you take life, you confess. So you try to do less so you'll eat grain rather than because that is not as high a form of life. And whenever you eat grain or anything to to survive, you ask for forgiveness. Uh, all done through. And you have this all over the world. All that's going through. You notice you have the same thing. So when it comes to the problem we have as a nation, we had it, but we have a problem. We're all sinners. So we either can go through works, which they all have different works of these different religions. It's also interesting that they all live within 200 years of each other. Talking about Buddha, Confucius, the Muhammad, all of them within 200 years. Satan was planning, wasn't he? Coming up with the deceptions with Christ, all of them do. And they still are doing it, but the question you come down to is, what are you doing to try to get to heaven? I think as we look in the mirror, we all realize we're getting pretty close for that decision to be made. <coughs> You know, that end is right around the corner. So we have a problem. We have a sin nature. 
and we have sin. What is, what's our plan to deal with it? But I think it's interesting also when you have, you know, you have the, uh, obviously by uh, faith in Jesus Christ, but what about the price? What did it cost the different ones? Of this 56 that signed, what did it cost them? Anybody ever wonder about what did it cost them? I'll read you one here. This was, uh, came out in, uh, which I've read it before, but Michael W. Smith, I guess, did some research about eight years ago and said he didn't realize. But let me just give you some. Five signees who were captured by the British as traitors, tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the war. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 uh, fought and died from the wounds or hardships of the war. They finally made a pledge to their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. What kind of men were they? 24 were lawyers and jurists, 11 merchants, 9 were farmers, and large plantation owners, men of means, well-educated, but they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that the penalty would be death if they were captured. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy plantation and trader, saw his ships swept from sea by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debt and died in rags. Thomas McKean was so hunted by the British, he was forced to move his family almost constantly, never staying in one place more than a day or two. His family was kept in possession. His possessions were taken, and his poverty was reward. Vandalism or soldiers took the loot of property of Elvery, Clymer, Hall, Walton, Whitten, Hayward, Rutledge, Middleton. The reason I'm saying that, how many of us even heard those people's names? At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson, Jr., noted that the British General uh, Cornwallis had taken over his home, his headquarters. He also noticed that they were not, uh, they're staying away from shooting or canning or anything else to his home. He met with General Washington and quietly asked him, why are you all not firing on it? He said, well, it's your home. He said, fire on it. His home was destroyed and he died bankrupt. How of us cared enough about our own freedom to say, destroy my home to get rid of me? Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife. She died within a few months. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled. He, his fields and his mill were laid in waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves. Returning home to find his wife had died and his children were gone. I don't think we realize how many of these stories. They're not wild rebel rousers. They were soft-spoken men of means and education. They had security, but they valued liberty more. Standing tall, straight, unwavering, they pledged. This is the pledge. Think about this. For the support of this declaration, with firm reliance of the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And did they do it? And I think it's important you know, for all of us. So you think about the price that they had. That's quite a price that they paid. But what kind of price did Christ pay? You've seen the passion of Christ, and maybe you have. And obviously Christ, when you read in Isaiah 53, why don't we just look there? I think it's interesting in Isaiah 53.
kind of starting to. I think it's go back up to verse two. I think it's important because Christ chose to come to this earth, but if you came, how would you choose to come? Notice the last half of verse two of chapter fifty-three. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. So when Jesus came, he didn't come as the most handsome person on the earth. Why? Because he didn't want anybody to follow him for the wrong reasons. A choice that he made. He was verse three, he was despised, forsaken men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs for he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well being fell upon him, by his scourging we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. The Lord is letting him the iniquity of us all. And it obviously goes on to land before the slaughter. And he also looked and he said he was beaten beyond recognition. You know, we don't see that in movies because obviously the violence would be there. But I think about it. He chose to do that. He willingly went to the cross. He set his face to it. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew when it was going to happen. In fact, beforehand, remember, he was amazing. He said to Peter, Satan's demanded to sift you as weak, but I prayed for you. He even told them that for the three of you pray for themselves. What would you and I do? Pray for me? But he even turned to John and said, This is your mother, or mother, this is son, take care of. Thinking of others the whole time. But when we think about that price that you had, you know. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross, Father, don't hold this sin against them. That's amazing when you look at it. But again, so the problem, with, obviously, with sin as a as mankind, the problem is taxation and so on as a nation. We have different proposals. You have the same thing for proposal for mankind. You can do it through works or you do it through trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And I think it's interesting what you and I do. Uh, how thankful are we as a nation? And how thankful are we as Christians? Right. You know, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse uh, 20, you have been bought with a, Christ, or with a price, therefore what? Glorify God in your body. And I think it's important. So I think it's interesting what I would call, so you have the problem, the proposal, and then you have a price. But what about post-freedom? You know, we were set free but as a nation, we chose the Constitution. We chose a Bill of Rights. We chose amendments to live under. And a good example of that, this past week, those who were doing very much driving, as I was back and forth in the week before after the storm, had a lot of four-way stops. How well were people abiding by the four-way stops? I mean, you know, it's amazing. You come up to a four-way stop and... Uh, that stopped, I think, just not speed, speed up, you know, but uh, it's amazing. We have laws, but we have to abide by them. But as a believer, we have a law of liberty, which we've been set free. But is it free to do whatever we want? I think it's interesting. In the book of Romans, you have several laws that Christians are supposed to place, willingly place themselves under. As citizens of America, we willingly place ourselves under certain laws. You have the law of conscience in Romans chapter 13 and verse 5. If it goes against your conscience, you're not to do it. 
How do we allow our conscience to help be our guide? You have the law of love. Oh, no man anything except for love. How many of us are being governed by love? You come up to the intersection. How many of us are governed by love? You go first. No, no. You know, you know, you know. I'm supposed to yield to the right, and I'm to the right. You stay there. You know, it's just amazing uh, what happens. But we have the law of love. And how do people know that all men are my disciples? If you have what? Love one for another. So I think we have a great opportunity. But again, these are post-trio. This is what we choose. As a nation, we've chosen this. But as believers, we're choosing certain laws, or we should be choosing certain laws. You have a third one, the law of accountability. How many of us are we accountable to one another? We're accountable to one another. And how many of us are looking at that accountability issue? That we are... You know, if we're supposed to, are we not supposed to be, we're talking about the church and the body of Christ. We have hands, we have feet, we have everything else. How many of us want all of it to work? I notice a lot of us are limping around. We all kind of wish all of it was working, right? Okay, the same thing happens with the body of Christ. The accountability, we want everything to be working. And when it doesn't, it affects all of us. And a lot of things are going to start hurting because it's not being worked correctly. The law of accountability. That's in Romans 14. In Romans 15, you have the law of imitation. We're supposed to act like Christ. What would Christ do? You get in situations, would Christ answer that way? We're told in Romans, uh, excuse me, in uh, Hebrews chapter, or uh, Philippians chapter 2, don't have this mind, have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Don't think more highly of yourself. How many of us are being like Christ? If Christ was thinking of himself, would he have ever left heaven? Colossians chapter uh, 3 and verse 2 set your mind on things above and on things of the earth and so I think it's, an, uh, it's interesting we have a law of imitation so if you're looking at the other religions of the world it, you are on your your whole focus is on yourself what can I do to get there but what happens then is they believe there's a scale they all believe there's scales and at the end of your life, your good is placed on the scale here, and your bad is placed on the scale here, and whichever one weighs the most, that's where you go. Well, what happens when you add your thoughts? Okay, and how many works is it going to take? Okay, is it 342? What happens if you're at 341? You know, who sets? And so I think it's interesting. God set the bar, but... What do we do once we are free? And we need to be placing ourselves under that. And we also then we have a purpose. If you remember the purpose, we already read one of them. If you wanted one, is to be the GRD, not Grand River Dam Authority, but one of the glory. How can I bring glory to God? Which we had in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The second one, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, is He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. How many of us are working at that? Do you think you're going to stand before him and he's going to say, you could have reconciled this person to this person. You could have reconciled this person to me. But you didn't. That is our ministry, our job. People want to know what does God want. He has made it clear of what all we need to do. If I can't do it in little things. Why should he entrust me with something more? 
then also then you have then of deeds. Am I doing the deeds of the good works to bring glory to God? Or am I doing it to bring glory to me? And I think it's important when you look at that purposes. I, he has saved me. I know my eternity. It's not just a fire insurance policy. I have a purpose with which to live. But I also have a partner. If you remember we read there, they pledged there to each other. Do you think in the middle of all that, when they were having all these difficulties, do you think that partnership and the pledge that they made to each other had any bearing on what they were doing? Or when they realized and saw what so-and-so gave up for the, for the cause, and what this person gave up, and what this person gave up. Partnership means a lot, and we can really help each other through encouragement. We're not, that's what happened with Elijah. Remember, he thought he was all alone. Woe is me. No, there's 6,000 others out there doing the same thing. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that partnership. So we have a problem. It's called sin. And we have a proposal. Works for Jesus Christ. We have a price that cost him dearly. We have post-freedom. We have got freedom, but what are we doing? And I think we need to look at that. And we have a purpose. Has he allowed all of us to be here today? So do you have a purpose? Glory, reconciliation, deeds for His glory. But then we also have a partner. We're here together. We're here to encourage each other. We're not out here to work against each other. We're here to work together. And I think that's what's so critical is to work together, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, not all of us can do different things. But that's why we have each other. I haven't seen a foot throw baseball very well. I mean, I have Now, there's people like Johnny Erickson, people who can paint with, it, with their you know, teeth or whatever it might be, but I haven't found that I can do that. But we do have a purpose. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.